Welcome back to Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lipton Walter. Today we're going to be continuing on with the four crafts. We will be starting a new section called Lawyer Craft today. If you're reading along, we will be on page 66, I believe. Well, 66, but mostly 67 to start. And we'll get right into it. So, this section, I'll just read the table of contents for this section. Uh, But we'll start off with Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And as I've said before in the past, um, that's the King James Version, but it's to the Torah and to the testimony, or to the Torah and to the Ketovim. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And that's because the Torah was not done away with. There were certain things that were done away with, um, things that were fulfilled, like the uh, sacrificial, uh, the, the repentance type stuff. Uh, but... Anyway, continuing on with uh, the table of contents for lawyer craft. Bible instructions and examples, general laws, specific or circumstantial laws, and natural laws. And then we'll look at lawyer craft in the Old Testament, lawyer craft in the New Testament, lawyer craft in the Book of Mormon, and lawyer craft in the latter days. And then there's a section called quips and quotes. Negatives and positives, God's law, and God's law. So this is uh, page 67. The purpose of, of law and lawyers. Laws are instituted for direction, guidance, and regulation. Righteous laws are meant to give people a pattern or standard of acceptable conduct which has a positive effect upon individuals and society. Laws are made by man, or they can come from God. Those created by man pertain to this mortal existence and are designed to help avoid destruction of property and persons, accidents, or even death. Those given by the Lord are effective not only in this life, but also in the life hereafter. The scriptures say the law of the Lord is perfect, and that's the Torah of Yehovah, our Elohim, is perfect, converting the soul, and that's Psalms chapter 19, verse 7. But the laws of man are ever-changing, often creating confusion and disaster. There are three main categories of law, general, specific, and natural law. General laws. Orson Pratt expressed the unchangeable nature of general laws. Quote, and this is from Orson Pratt's works. These general laws, which are universal in their application through revealed, though revealed ever so often, are always the same. They are as unchangeable as the great lawgiver in whom they originated. The first class of laws are termed general because of their universal adaptation to the conditions of all men in all generations and ages and under every dispensation of God to man. There are many things which are naturally evil and no change of circumstances can render them otherwise than evil. They are recognized as evil by all men, whether in a civilized or savage state. End quote. Orson Pratt's works, page 122 and 123. Specific or circumstantial laws. Also from Orson Pratt, we read, 
Those individuals are circumstance, circumstantial laws which are limited to individuals for whom they are given are changeable in their nature. New circumstances require new laws which must continue to change in order to suit the conditions of the people, and that's from Orson Pratt's works, page 122. Specific laws then apply to a particular person, place, time, or condition. God may give someone a particular law, like building an ark or a special temple, or men may make similar laws regarding traffic regulations or business codes. These laws are changeable through time. Natural laws. These are the laws of science and nature to pertain to the field of chemistry, mathematics, and other natural principles of the universe. The plant and animal kingdom abide by natural laws, which are also consistent and eternal in their nature. We're on page 69. Laws are necessary to govern the wicked, not necessarily the righteous. Joseph F. Smith stated, quote, The secret by which Joseph the prophet governed the saints, as he once said, was that he taught them correct principles and they governed themselves. It is only the sick that need a physician. It is only the criminal that needs the penalties of the law. Honest and honorable men need no officers of the law, policemen, no justice of the peace, no courts, no lawyers. They live above crime, beyond the reach of the law. The law is not made for them, except to protect them from the criminally disposed. If every man was taught to do right and did right, there would be no use for courts or for laws such as we have today. It is only because people will not do right that these things are needful and that we have expensive forms of government and expensive officers to administrate and execute the law. And that is Cold Disc Study Companion, Volume 3, page 403. And I don't know what coal is because they don't give a, a definition of where they're getting this from. But that was Joseph F. Smith that stated it. So I don't, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know what. Collier's Disc, I have no idea. Anyway. Jesus summarized all the laws of man and of God into two simple ones. To love the Lord thy God, or Jehovah our Elohim, with all thine heart, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. Matthew chapter 11, verse 37 and 39. And once again, Jesus taught specifically from the Torah. Uh, he did not have the Old Test or the New Testament. He did not have the letters of Paul or of Peter or any of that stuff. He spoke specifically from the Torah, and we can find these things in the Torah. But for some reason, they're not quoted here, and I'm not going to go find them for you. But that's where Jesus got this stuff from. He spoke specifically from the Torah, which is still applicable. In fact, everything that the early disciples of Christ and Jesus Christ taught himself comes from the Torah. It was not done away with. Anyway, he then declared, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, or all the Torah and all the Ketuvim. So the, t- the Tanakh is what the Old Testament is called, and it consists of the Torah, the, Kev- the Ketuvim, and the Nevi'im which is what he was talking about. And that was actually Matthew chapter 22, verse 40. If we truly loved God, we would try to do nothing to offend or displease him. If we loved our neighbor as we, as we would do nothing to hurt or trouble him. However, if we fail to obey these two laws, then more laws, regulations, and codes are required to maintain a peaceful and civilized society. Apparently, make mankind has failed in obeying the two great commandments. As today, there are thousands of laws to govern our society. 
In ancient times, the lawgiver was their lawyer. It was his job to teach people the law or the Torah and what it meant and what its purpose and and what its purpose and what its place is. And we're on page 70 if you're reading along with us in the four crafts. Gradually, however, the people departed from the ecclesiastical laws of God and became more financially successful in their secular laws of man. As in any other profession, all lawyers are not bad, neither are all of them good. Jokes and humorous stories about lawyers are prevalent. They have taken the brunt of, of more wisecracks and critical humor than any other profession, probably because we have created so many so much anim, animosity among the common man. For example, since lawyers and lawgivers are originally intended to teach correct law to the people, it was their duty and responsibility to also set proper examples through their own obedience. It is evident that this concept deteriorated in a hurry until today they are commonly classified as some of the biggest offenders, which a review of scripture and church history will illustrate. And like just thinking about that in our current governmental system like they'll pass all these laws but they're often the first to break them and they'll pass laws to make people into criminals so they can profit off of the people who are breaking laws that are not necessary that happens all the time as well anyway we're on page 71 if you're reading along with us and this section of a subsection is called lawyers in the old testament Law and accompanying blessings and punishment was introduced to men in the Garden of Eden. It was set it set the standard of morality and worship through the legal authority of God himself. God is the lawgiver, and Moses was merely the restorer or teacher of the law, because many of the laws that were given in the Torah are simply restorations of what was given to Adam and others in the uh, pre-Moses time period uh, and we can see evidence of those things if we are a student of the scriptures um, for instance they had sacrifice, sacrifices and stuff before the Torah it, before the law of Moses came along and there's a bunch of other things too unfortunately um, Ogden Kraut did not know this I don't think he did but uh, there were many things added to the actual scriptures, um, not just like the Mishnah and stuff like that, where it was like, well, this is the instructions on how the Torah works or the scriptures work. And like, we're going to add all these extra laws to put laws around the uh, around the law itself. That was something that was going on in Jesus' day and before that. But King Josiah, when they found the book of the law of the Lord, they added many vain and foolish laws to the Torah, which were not originally given by Jehovah our Elohim to Moses or Moshe. And because of that, uh, there are many vain and foolish laws in the Torah itself. So there's 613 laws in the Torah that we have, but the Torah that was given to Moses was much more simple than what we have today. And because of the immaturity of King Josiah, who was in his late teens, early 20s when he reigned and, and when he died, um, there were many things that were added to the law that were immature and foolish that, like, it's sad because... The Jews, they talk about how they don't have a, uh, they don't have prophets anymore, right? And the Christians, they say, oh, prophets are all done away. Like, they're in, in um, agreement about those things, right? Except for the Jews don't accept Jesus or John the Baptist or any of his disciples as authoritative. Uh, their last prophet was Malachi, Malachi 
or Malachi. Malachi. <laughs> anyway, but um, it's sad because in order to understand the correct interpretation of Scripture, you actually have to have a prophet who knows what God's laws are and who knows by revelation the correct instructions or the correct interpretation of Scripture. That's why when I have a problem with the church today and the so-called prophets that seem to change over time, um, they change what the laws and the ordinances are and the endowments and the anointings and everything else because they're going off of man's logic, not God's logic. Because they do not get revelation from God because of the rejection of the church in the 1840s. But in order to understand God's truth and God's law and the correct interpretation of Scripture, a prophet must come among the people who can teach them not only what the laws are and what the correct interpretation is, but also how to receive revelation and confirmation of the Spirit for themselves instead of just relying upon a prophet. And Joseph Smith talked about how the people relied too much on the prophet and were hence darkened in their minds. That's because they need to become prophets for themselves and they just rely on somebody else to lead them and guide them and they never get confirmation of the Holy Spirit as to what the truth is. And there's a curse that comes along with that. All they who put, place their trust in the flesh or maketh flesh their own arm or receive a, a curse. And making flesh your arm is using your own brain without revelation to determine what the truth is by logic. And I've seen many people, very educated, high IQ people with charisma, lead many astray because of their own logic, but they don't get revelation or confirmation of the Holy Spirit for themselves. I would rather take a prophet to teach me that says I don't know sometimes because they haven't gotten revelation on it. They might give you their opinion, but they'll tell you, you know, I'm not exactly sure about that topic. I haven't gotten revelation on it. I Maybe I haven't even sought to get revelation on it because it never occurred to me or concerned me. And I was just thinking about other things all along that I was trying to understand. And I never got to this specific topic. You know, but a lot of these guys who are very charismatic, if they're questioned at all, they will have an answer for everything. Well, my ex-wife was President Hinckley's great-uncle, or no, great-niece. I think I said that wrong, right? Anyway, like, I loved President Hinckley. I mean, I thought he was a, uh, a good man. I, I did feel the spirit around him, unlike Thomas Monson, who I also had run into a bunch of times when I was younger. I also dated his great-niece. Uh... <laughs> I have some funny stories about that, but I won't get into that at this time. But, um... <coughs> excuse me. The thing about it is, though, um... They might be really good men, but... And they might be very charismatic, but if they have an answer for everything... I don't know if I trust that a lot. Like... One of the things that used to drive my ex nuts before she was my ex is she would always throw in my face different things all the time. Like, I didn't have this long hair that I have. Uh, and if, you, if you're if you watching the video, you know. But um, if you're just listening to the podcast, I have pretty long hair. And I have long facial hair. And, but back then when I was trying to play the good Mormon and like fit into the box and the mold that they wanted, like every once in a while, my hair would get down to my collar and my ex would like criticize me and scold me about how horrible it was that I allowed that to happen because President Hinckley said that we shouldn't have long hair. Well, uh, and I kept to that pretty much 
um, all the way up until God told me to cut uh, to not cut my hair anymore in 2012. So it's almost been 10 years since I've been since I married my second wife. Um, and not long after that, God told me specifically, and this is before I left the church, or well, before I was kicked out of the church, because I was excommunicated for apostasy, for believing early church doctrine, uh, like the Adam-God doctrine and different things. Anyway, but um, God told me not to cut my hair anymore. And so I have not cut it in 10 years. You know, and that's God's will for me, and I accept that, and I don't know why. But um, these individuals who just make up stuff, as a general, that every everybody should follow, and like people like me, where God has specifically said, "Do not cut your hair anymore," and I don't know why He told me to do that, but I have been obedient. Well, God's law is the law. His interpretation of scripture or his commandments is the only interpretation that matters. And some individual who is charismatic, who claims to be a prophet, seer, revelator, or whatever, translator, they have no authority over me. In fact, I tried to join a church called the Church, uh, the uh, Righteous Branch of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints once. And I got scolded by the father telling him that I shall place no man in authority above me. That I shall have no file leader except for him. And I wonder if that's the way it's supposed to be for everybody or just me because of my position of authority. Which I was foreordained to in the pre-existence of this earth. Um... But I understand that there's the man like unto Moses, who if you'll not hear him, you'll be destroyed from among the people and different stuff like that. Anyway, I'm going way too far off topic, so I'm going to get back into what I was reading. Yehovah our Elohim is the great lawgiver, and Moshe, or Moses, was merely the restorer or teacher of the of the Torah. Or the Torah in Hebrew, it means instructions the instructions from God. Moses says a prophet, priest, teacher, doctor, health, inspector, custodian of morals, and military leader was bound by corresponding laws. In Devarim, I mean Deuteronomy or Leviticus, uh, it contains a multitude of laws to govern the Old Testament people. Leviticus 17, uh, chapter 17 through 26 is known as the Code of Holiness. And we're going to read what that means from the Zondervan Encyclopedia of the Bible. The Code of Holiness is dominated by the same lofty thought of the holiness and transcendence of God as found in Ezekiel. Now, Real quick, before it doesn't say this in the, the scriptures, to be kadosh or holy means to be set apart unto God. That's what holiness means. When you are set apart unto God, you are holy. When you are keeping God's set apart laws, you are holy. To differ from God's set apart laws and be set apart unto a different master, like Babylon the Great, makes you a whore. And it means that you are not holy. It is to be kadosh, or set apart unto God, that we must strive as the saints of God, or we're cheating on him. We have two masters. We have our husband, which is God... And then we go cheating on him with the world, which is Babylon the Great, or Baal. Anyway, the code is full of elaborate instructions on how to maintain even the physical realm. This holiness comes from being the people of God, because we're set apart or kadosh unto God. Leviticus as a whole makes less appeal to modern man than, say, Deuteronomy. 
partly because of Leviticus is virtually a priest's handbook on technical matters of religion and partly because such rules of cleanliness and worship have ceased to be directly applicable or practical in modern life. And quote Zondervan's Encyclopedia of the Bible, volume 3, page 889. The the word Leviticus means laws pertaining to the Levites. It is the third book of the Pentateuch by Moses. And that drives me a little bit nuts. The Pentateuch, that's the... That's the Greek. Why don't they just say the Torah? Like, I don't know why we have to confuse Judaism and Israelite and Hebrewism, Hebraism with Greek. But anyway, it's the third book of the Torah. Pentateuch. You can call it that, but... And contains many, many instructions or laws administered by the Levitical priesthood. The Levites being... Levi, being one of the twelve tribes of Israel. In chapters 12 through 26 of Deuteronomy, the fifth book, it contains another code or law often referred to as the Deuteronomic Code. Zondervan also explained the nature of this law. Quote, let's see here. While in some ways... Yet the Deuteronomic Code is a summing up of the whole of the law and history of Israel. In other ways, it it is only a supplement of earlier codes, the Covenant Code, by covering areas initially omitted as well as reinterpreting the old. That is why its position may be compared to that of John's Gospel in the New Testament. Much of it is is cast in discourse style or a sort of reminiscence of Moses with which the speeches in Acts may be compared. Deuteronomy is infused throughout with a warmth of love that continually introduces the new motives for keeping the law. And that's Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 3. The humanitarian application of the law, and even extending to wild animals in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 6. The covenant love so dominates the code that it has to be called a covenant code. Exodus chapters 20 through 23, which is so clear... of which it so closely resembles. And that is in Zondervan's Encyclopedia of the Bible, Volume 3, page 888. The book of Deuteronomy means the repetition of the law and had to be rehearsed, simplified, and expanded over and over in such a way to implant the laws and principles into the hearts and minds of Israel. Some of these passages are unsurpassed in literature, even by Dimitri, De, Demetri, I can't say that. I know that this next one is Cicero and Webster, Demosthenes. Okay. There were instituted... They were instituted for Israel in anticipation that they would always apply to their civilized and moral society. The law in Israel was to be taught at home, placed on their doorposts. That's the uh, the little menuza, or I think called menuzas. There's there is a cylinder on uh, the front of a Jewish or Hebrew household that has the Torah scrolls in it for certain Torah scrolls, so that's why it's talking about the um, on your door doorposts. It was bound in their on their arms and written in stone in public places. It was actually put here as well. They would wear a little box with Torah scrolls in it, like. 
sayings in the Torah, but it was also bound around your right hand, and this is my right hand right here. And um, it was taught in the schools, it was taught at home. Like, these are the laws of a nation which were both theological and um, secular. Well, they, it was all theological, but like it was the laws of the nation. And they were all taught it in their synagogues, in their places of worship every week. So, unlike our laws, where no child from preschool, if they knew how to read, all the way through college would be able to read all of the laws in this nation. There's no way to teach them because there's too many laws. Anyway, but ironically today, our law forbids the Ten Commandments from being exhibited in public places. The people of Israel have been chosen and charged with the responsibility of administering, preserving, and upholding God's law upon the earth. As Israel wandered in the wilderness, they spent nearly 40 years near Kadesh, a a name meaning the well of judicial decision. Then the Israelites were to learn God's law. There the Israelites were to learn God's law and the importance of obeying them. And we're on page 73, if you're reading along with me. Scholars agree that the laws of God to Israel's antedate Moses and that they were merely restored to them. Even uh, Jesus came to fulfill fulfill those laws, not to destroy them. To fulfill the Torah, according to Hebraic understanding, means to live it perfectly. If you ever have a rabbi saying you are fulfilling Torah, he's telling you that you are fulfilling it perfectly. That's what Jesus did. He did not come to destroy the law, but to teach it and to be an example of how we should live as well. God gave them law under the principle that ye shall be holy, or kadosh, for I, Yehovah, your Elohim, or the Lord your God, am kadosh, or holy. Leviticus chapter 19 Verse 2. God was trying to bring the Israelites up to the point of becoming like him through obedience to correct laws and principles. And if they were obedient, God would have blessed them with greater blessings and greater priesthoods, uh, all the way up into the fullness of the priesthood. But not even the church, the modern restoration, received the fullness of the priesthood because they were not obedient in keeping the lower laws that they had, which were higher laws, but they were still lower than... um, Well, it's just... God has given us these instructions to get us to the point where we can receive these higher, higher blessings. Oh, let's see here. God was trying to bring the Israelites up to the point of becoming like him through obedience to correct laws and principles. The laws, or the Torah, of Israel were designed to be a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And that's according to Galatians chapter 3 verse 24 and I would say that that's true to a point because he taught us more fully how to live them he did not add to the law but he gave us a higher way of living the law you know like anyone who hates his neighbor um is guilty of murder. They don't actually have to murder. Like he's trying to bring us higher than what the Torah taught. Uh, but the Torah was the foundation of the law that he was working with, which is still applicable. Like we as Christians and people from uh, Restoration Theology, and I'm talking about people who believe Joseph Smith is a prophet. A lot of us think that these things aren't important, but 
our scriptures are laced with Torah observant people. The Old Testament, the New Testament, the Book of Mormon are all based in Torah observant people. And Jesus came to teach the Torah and he taught it more fully and more more deliciously, more beautifully than what any other rabbi ever taught it. Because he was trying to bring us to a higher level. Unfortunately, Satan or Satan gets in there and he destroys everything. But that's fine because the way is very narrow. The way is straight and the, and the gate is narrow. And uh, few there be that find the highest blessings that God has to offer. If you think you're among a great big old group of people that is all going to go to exaltation in the celestial kingdom, you've got another thing coming. Oh, anyway, continuing on. The law of Israel were designed to be a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, Galatians 3.24, and were actually a miracle of legislation when considering the circumstances and thinking of those times. These laws were to be taught to the Israelites by the leading lights of the community who could be termed as lawgivers or lawyers. This duty was given to them as a command by God. And we're going to get into a long quote in Deuteronomy here. Um, Let's see here. These laws were were to be taught by the Israelite, taught to the Israelites by the leading lights of the community who could be termed as lawgivers or lawyers. These this duty was given to them as a command by the Lord. So basically, the the first lawyers were actually teachers who taught the law. They taught the law. And Moses wrote this law and delivered it unto the priests of the son of Levi, which bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, or of Jehovah, and unto all the elders of Israel. And Moshe, or Moses, commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, in a solemn, uh, in the solemnity of the year of release of the Feast of Tabernacles, which is one of the holy days of Jehovah, which comes up in the fall. Um, and the seven-year thing is um, every seven years there's to be a Shemitah, I think it's called, which is uh, a release, and uh, it, there's a bunch of stuff that goes along with that. But they're still applicable. So. All right, let's see here. See if I can find my place. When all Israel is to come to appear before Jehovah our Elohim in the place that's the Lord your God in the King James. I just don't like that version because it doesn't do justice to what is actually being said. So I'll just say it the way it should have been translated. When all Israel is to is come to appear before Jehovah our Elohim in the place by our which he shall choose, thou shalt read this law before all Israel in their hearing, or this Torah. Not the whole Tanakh, just the Torah portion. Right? Gather the people together, men and women and children, and thy stranger that is within thy gate, and that they may hear, that all they may learn and fear Jehovah our Elohim and observe to do all the words of this Torah or law. That their children, which have not known anything, may hear and learn to hear the Lord your God, Jehovah your Elohim, as long as you live, because we're all supposed to be prophets. Anyway, that's in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 9 through uh, 13. Oh, <coughs> excuse me. One of the uh, one of the things that was brought to my mind as I was uh, 
as I was reading the scriptures that a child who is an obedient in an obedient family cannot go without hearing the law within the first seven years of his life. And a child who is eight when the Shemitah year comes or the the time of of restoration comes um, or release will hear it two times in the first eight years of his life. I, I don't know why that's important, but it just something that popped out to me and for some reason I felt like I needed to comment on it. The Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 verses 3 through 17 and Deuteronomy chapter 5 verses 6 through 21 were the basis of the Hebrew law. Reverence for Jehovah our Elohim is their, is our central theme. We're on page 74 if you're reading along with us. Four of them dealing with our attitude towards Jehovah our Elohim and six of them with our attitude towards our fellow men. After the Ten Commandments, the Book of the Covenant instituted the laws of the nation of Israel. They dealt with murder, stealing, idolatry, bribes, false reports, lying, and pledges, mobs, restitution, seduction, sorcery, and many other crimes. Israel had laws that covered both religious and civil affairs. Henry Haley author of Haley's Bible Handbook, commented on these laws and compared them to the laws of our time. And this is uh, a quote from his book. Over and over, God repeats, Thus saith the Lord, or thus saith Jehovah, your Elohim, indicated that these laws were the direct enactment of God himself. Some of them may seem severe to us, but if we could tra- uh, transport ourselves back to Moses' world, they probably would not seem severe enough. On the whole, Moses' law in its instant, in its instant on personal morality and personal equ- equality and its consideration of the old and the young for slave and for enemy, for animal and its health and food regulations was far pure, more rational, humane, and democratic than the then and showed a wisdom far in advance of anything in ancient legislation, Babylonian, Egyptian, or any other. And that's Haley's Bible Handbook, page 136. But... So this is a a Christian individual who is trying to commentate, but he doesn't have any revelation. He doesn't understand what God's interpretation of Scripture is, so he takes it as it is. But I'm telling you that in the book of Lehi, it talks about how horrible it was that King Josiah would add many things in his council in the temple as the king of Israel, and he added many things which were vain and foolish, which were not part of God's law. And those things still are in the scriptures. That's why we have to be prophets to understand the correct interpretation of scripture and which things to disregard. And I'm not going to tell you what you should uh, accept or regard because you need to follow or you need to study these things out for yourself and get your own revelation on these topics. Some of them are obvious. Some of them are not. If you decide that you're going to follow a law, you might do it, and it might be beneficial to you, but it might not be God's instruction. Now, can you follow that law without sinning? I hope I think you probably can, but 
if you want to make sure it's a law of God, you need to make sure to get confirmation of the Spirit after you've studied it out to the best of your ability so that you're not teaching false doctrine, for one. And for two, before you impose your judgments, which you do not receive by revelation on on other individuals, you need to know that those laws are from God. If they're not from him, they're just man-made laws. And some of the stuff in the Old Testament is foolish and vain because King Josiah was a... Uh, He was in his late teens to his early 20s when all this stuff happened. He was an immature king. And he died at the hands of Nebo, I believe, because of the things that he did by adding to Torah, which is forbidden in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 23, I think. Anyway, continuing on, the blessings enjoyed by the Israelites while living the laws of God are a testimony that God lives. But when when they failed to obey his law, it was, sa- it was a sad part of their history. This failure to do in part of their prophets, priests, and teachers who neglected to teach the law and to enforce its punishments. These lawgivers and lawyers understood the law but often subverted it for personal wealth and power. We're on page 75 if you're reading along with us. And we have one last page to go before we are done. And we are in a new section called Lawyers in the New Testament. So I'll finish this this page, page 75, and then we'll be done with this particular portion of the program. The podcast, if if it were, as it were. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah criticized sharply the failures of Israel in keeping the commandments and the laws of Jehovah our Elohim, or the laws of God. Other religious leaders such as Ezra and political leaders like Nehemiah, Nehemiah, gave similar warnings. The number of references to the laws of God in Ezra, Nehemiah, Nehemiah is remarkable. Times became so dark that the priests could no longer receive guidance through the Urim and Thummim or seer stones. See Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 64 through 65. I just, I don't know if I should say this or not. Some of you who have been following me know I proclaim to be God's witness. That I have seen them face to face. And that I have been instructed to be bold in my witness and to teach the people, which is why I do these podcasts. I'm trying to be obedient to what God wants me to do, but I don't want to do it. But I'm doing it anyway, because I know that God has instructed me to do these things. But... One of my future roles is to be a leader in Israel, a great leader. And I told our eternal father in the name of Jehovah, our Elohim, that I do not want to do this unless I am given a physical yarm and thumb to use with a breastplate, which is fitted to me personally and that if I'm not given those things, I don't know that I want to or that I can be obedient to just doing what God is asking me to do. And I I don't know if I'm being disobedient in that, but the way I see it, there's been many times in my life where I, I felt like, oh, I'm going to move to Washington because this is where the... Israelites are going to come down uh, from the land of the north country, which is a thing. There will be a highway brought up out of the deep uh, from Alaska coming down into the Seattle area. Uh, and in fact, the Bellevue Temple, which is a C- Seattle temple, has a Moroni facing west, which all which is unlike every other one except for Nauvoo. Um, well, the present-day Nauvoo one. 
The present-day Nauvoo uh, Temple has a west-facing Moroni because it's pointing towards Salt Lake, but that's stupid because Salt Lake didn't exist when the Nauvoo Temple was built. But anyway, if we can get past that, um, the only other temple that has a west-facing Moroni is the Bellevue Temple, which is the Seattle Temple up in Washington State. And I thought it was really interesting. So I used to go in there all the time and I would talk to the tape, uh, the temple matron and the temple president. And I'd be like, why is he facing west? Why isn't he facing east? And nobody knew. And I was really just, I just wanted to know, right? So I, I kept trying to figure it out and nobody had any answers for me so I finally just took it to God and he said it, it is to welcome the ten lost tribes of the north country when they come down when the ice flows down at their feet and they'll come down through this area and then they'll come and I was later given instruction on how they would come down through Yakima and through uh, the five cities area down um, down that way and just basically, I think they're going to follow I-84, I think it is. But um, but I'm going to be this great leader, and I do not want to be a leader. I don't. I, I don't want to be a leader at all. I don't, I don't mind doing these programs. I'm glad that I can teach. I don't want you to trust me. I want you to trust God. I'd like you to hear what I have to say, but I want you to go to God yourself and to get information from him for yourself on on what, get confirmation of the spirit on different things, right? So, I don't want to be a man like unto Moses, but I am a leader. And I was foreordained for this role. And I don't like it at all. But I'm. But this is what I am. So, anyway, I told God, if I'm really going to be this guy, I need a couple of things, and I don't know when I'll get them. But I don't know if I'm bargaining with God. But this is just. I'm like, you know what? I can do. I can do this teaching stuff, but I'm not gonna sit here and be a leader to people when I don't even have support. Like Moses, if I'm the man like unto Moses, why don't I have the things that Moses had to help him? I mean, he was given those things. Him, he was given those things. Those things were given to him later in life when he needed them, and I may not need them right now. But if I am who I claim to be, I will need them eventually. So anyway. Big tangent, I know. Let's continue on. So this brings up the importance and responsible, uh, responsible position of God's lawyers. They indeed had a noble job. And this is uh, Zondervan Encyclopedia of the Bible, Volume 3, page 879. Since every detail of Jewish life was expected to be regulated by the law... And since it was impossible for an ordinary Jew to become familiar with the multitude of legal requirements and to apply them to the new situations, situations of daily life, it was absolutely necessary for some men to devote themselves to the study of the law, those who were the lawyers. Among the leading duties of the lawyers were the following, to study, interpret, and expound the law, and teach the law in the schools and the synagogues, to decide questions of law, to act as judges, as in the various Sanhedrins throughout the country. And that's, end quote, from Zondervan's Encyclopedia of the Bible. Laws are necessary in every every civilization and time. They deal with the disputes over land, water, crops, flocks, and herds, as well as among the people themselves. It was the foolish and vain nature of man that soon caused the pendulum to swing away from the moral law to civil law. 
The courts have become filled with lawyers who study the, the civil law but seem to forget the ecclesiastical laws of God. The last warning of the Old Testament was given by Malachi, who said, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I command unto, uh, commanded unto him in, all, in Horeb, which is Mount Horeb, for all of Israel with the statutes and judgments. Malachi chapter 4, verse 4. The children of Israel have have trouble remembering remembering it, let alone living it. So anyway, that's the end of that section. Um, before I go, I just want to say that I did a really in-depth study of Isaiah many years ago. All of that was deleted beyond my control. Uh, it was uh, Isaiah from a Latter-day perspective on my old program, The, uh, the Kingdom of God or Nothing. Um, one of the things that I noticed in my my in-depth study of Isaiah was that God judged those who were lawless, who did not keep God's law. And we can include the higher laws that are given in the Doctrine and Covenants as God's laws. We don't keep them. We don't keep the lesser laws. We keep those laws which we choose to keep, but we pick and choose which ones that we think are important and which ones that we are just not even going to worry about. We also cherry-pick the higher laws, which have to do with the celestial kingdom and receiving a higher portion of God's law as far as... um, as far as the blessings of exaltation, sorry, I'm distracted by a cat that I don't know how he got in the house. I don't like it when animals are in the house, except for one animal. That's my dog. But I don't even like it when he's in the house, but I I love him. So. <laughs> and my kids, they're animals too, but the stupid cat. Anyway, I'm distracted. And then I got chickens out here on the front lawn in this beautiful scenery. Which, by the way, I took a picture of this beautiful scenery, and I'm going to have to put it on uh, Facebook, I think, so you guys can see what I'm looking at. But I'm not moving the camera at this time. Anyway, well, the the next um, the next portion that we'll get into in this section of lawyercraft is going to be lawyercraft in the New Testament. And then we're going to get into Lawyercraft in the Book of Mormon. And then Lawyercraft in the Latter Days. And then we're just going to continue talking about Lawyercraft. And then we'll get into Priestcraft. Let me see. Uh, Priestcraft and Kingcraft, I think, is what the next one is. So... Anyway, um, if you are interested in reading these things, I will put links in the descriptions of this video and on the podcast where you can go and read this chapter or this section that we're getting into or this book or other great books on restoration theology. And uh, if you're interested in hearing my other podcasts, I have... Well... I think some have been deleted, and I don't know why they were deleted, but I have done over 600 podcasts, but I think on your end of things where you can see what's going on, there's like 589, and that's only for Fundamentally Mormon. That doesn't include all the YouTube videos and all of the old podcasts that I had. It's way over 1,000 now. So anyway, but um, that's going to be the... uh, the conclusion of this program for today and i'm going to try to get at least three of these out a week we'll see what happens this one's actually a little bit longer than other ones have been oh by the way if you've made it this far please if you're watching these videos please follow me on rumble on tiktok and facebook and youtube but but rumble that's the one that i'm trying to get going right now and it really helps when you actually follow me and don't just listen to the things or watch my videos. If you're if you're listening on podcast, 
you know, take a look at, um, follow the links to the videos and follow me there. So follow me on YouTube. That'd be nice. You know, you could share these things among your different groups and your families if you think it's beneficial. If you're telling me how great you think this is, then maybe you should be sharing it with other people and not worrying about, you know, what some people might say because you're not going to please all the people all the time, you know. So anyway, it would just be a nice thing to see this shared and uh, see people following more often. So, all right, well, I think we're done with the program today. I'm going to go take a break, and maybe I will get another program done today, but I'm not sure if I will or not. I'm just, this wears me out. I don't know why. I Just doing this much. We've only been doing it for an hour. I'm just, I need a break. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Anyway, take care, everyone. God bless, and goodbye.